Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Before we jump into this show, I just want to let you know this episode is really timely. Jen and I had a great discussion on outlining cardiovascular updates for the year 2022 and beyond with a whole new mindset of how to be thinking about and be approaching and managing risk stratification for the number one killer of humans, heart disease, completely moving away from the old way into the new way. I think you'll find it really useful. Hey, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel, and I'm, as always, joined by the lovely and talented Jen Justice. Hey, Doc. Good hey, to see you. Good to see you. We are excited about this episode. This is about the C word, mm. one of the most scary uh, topics in all of health, um, probably next to heart disease and Alzheimer's cancer is the certainly in the top three most concerning uh, conditions for anybody who's ambitious for a long, vibrant life. This episode is about cancer screening, the old way versus the new way, kind of a play on last, uh, the last series we did on cardiovascular disease, the old way versus the new way. We just enjoyed presenting it that way so much that it made sense to do it again. Yeah. Uh, and something equally as important. Um, we've got several sections <clears throat> in this content, and we're going to start with this first section, Jen, with just defining um, the significance from a historical perspective. Where are we with cancer screening, and how did we get there? Um, you know, cancer is the number two killer of human beings. Ugh. Heart disease is number one. Mm -hmm. Cancer is number two. Um, and I would just say that it's overall, it's confusing, it's complicated, mostly because it's super scary. And it's hard to find consistent recommendations, screenings, treatment uh, tends to be expensive and variable based on the market and resources that your community has. Um, why don't you help us and help the listener um, kind of catch up with where we are with cancer screenings um, and, and how did we get here? Sure. Um, well, thanks for that intro. I. As you and I were prepping for this, I think there's not probably not a human on the planet that doesn't know somebody that has had cancer or hopefully overcome it. So screening for cancer is super important. You want to try to catch it early so that it doesn't spread. Um, and historically, these cancer screening tests have been popula population health-based. And mm -hmm. what I mean by that is... Basically, they look at the entire population and they look at, well, when did cancer become evident? What, at what age? What screening test can we reliably do to try to catch it early? Um, in a lot of these cancers, you know, most um, the most popular one probably for a female being breast cancer, we have mammograms. Mm -hmm. um, for men with prostate cancers, we have 
blood tests and then we can move to imaging if we need to. So imaging tests, blood tests, for some like colorectal cancer, you have to go see a gastroenterologist and get a colonoscopy. So Mm -hmm. it's all over the board and it's not individualized. Um, You know, as healthcare providers, when we meet with our members, we do a deep dive into their family history. We want to marry that with, um, you know, if if you've had a grandparent with cancer, what kind? When did it happen? If you have a parent with cancer, what kind? Mm -hmm. When did it when did it start? What treatment did they go through? If they did detect anything, but you know, we're kind of limited in the options that we can present people right now based on imaging, blood tests, those type of screening tests. Well, yeah, especially since these standards are what insurance companies and third mm-hmm. payers tend to base their decision to pay or not pay on. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, this isn't any different than you and I in our practice of medicine, it it isn't any different than the way we handle heart disease Mm -hmm. or performance or weight loss. We don't do population health. Yeah. We do health of one. Mm -hmm. And ironically, no healthcare provider actually does population health. Right. People who write recommendations do it based on population health. But if you're a practitioner of health, and you have another human across from you, that's that's one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have any capacity to augment your strategy based on the actual human sitting across from you, it's going, it's better than nothing, Yeah. right? Which is the definition of population health. <laughs> if you were gonna hang a shingle in the middle of West Virginia where there's no resources, here is the bare minimum. They, Rather than recommend, they should call it the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. This is the minimal viable product to call yourself a health <clears throat> provider. Well, and the other important point is that for, like when we were researching out for this podcast, lung cancer is the number one cancer. Killer. Killer. Number one cancer killer mm-hmm. of humans, which shocked me because we always hear about breast cancer in women or cervical cancer or, you know, prostate cancer in men, but... We don't have a great screening test for lung cancer. We don't have a great screening test for pancreatic cancer or ovarian cancer. I personally have a friend, she was a dietitian, ate super clean, worked out all the time, had a very strong history of cancer in her family, Hmm. ended up with ovarian. Mm. By the time they found it, it was stage four. And so with these deadliest cancers, um, and she's a perfect example, because we don't have great screening tests, by the time you do find them, it can be too late. Right. So, you know, and that's that's another downside to the whole historical. Yeah. The way yeah, we know. I mean, and I think I, I think the, the main take home point of this first section is we have for for the cancers that we have screening tests for. I think we do a really good job mm-hmm. along, assuming you're getting these screenings. So right. cervical, breast, prostate, colon. Do the basic. I yeah. mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, if you're not at least doing that, let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think as a teaser for uh, later in this episode, we're going to talk about something that we really both feel deeply passionate that needs more attention and mm-hmm. conversation around uh, because people have options. There have been some emerging breakthrough technologies that we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit that that should be considered um, as we march forward 
in terms of cancer screening mm -hmm. and early identification because speed is the game. Early detection is the game. Yeah. Nobody wants to find ovarian cancer. Right. But if you're going to find it, let's find stage one mm -hmm. where you live to talk about it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right. So the, 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 the next section we're going to talk about is really the old way. We're going to dig deeper into... Um, the state of the union and what we have and like we, we've talked about the importance of doing it but really dig deeper into the unique challenges of our current protocols recommendations which we believe are rooted in this old historic way we've managed it which we are debating uh may not be the most optimal way, mm -hmm. likely not the most optimal way. So why don't, why don't we, why don't you take it away from here? So, you know, we talked about the way that we screen, but what's very confusing, especially as a healthcare provider, is that there are standards and, and recommendations that we are pre presented with from different unified bodies, right? So U.S. preventative task force um american cancer society CDC. cdc so all these organizations the american college of uh -huh. fill in the blank right um so and those are just the u.s based ones i mean there's ones in europe they have their own screening guidelines oh, yeah. so you know not only do we have discrepancies between uh the, the societies within the u.s but then you bring in other countries as well internationally internationally right um and so what can be hard is, you know, I pulled off from just for breast cancer screening. There are four different organizations on the sheet, and every recommendation for mammography is different. Some start before age 50, but that has to be decided by the patient. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell my health care provider when I want a mammogram. And by the I'm way, does anybody tell the insurance? So that, that's right. wonderful. Yeah. But what if your Blue Cross Blue Shield decides that you don't need it. Yeah. And then every duration between screening is different. So some organizations say every two years, some say every year. Some say do it annually for women over 40 years. Some say hmm. you, we need to start at 50. So, you know, if you're in that age group before age 40 and you have a super strong history of breast cancer, you better be getting a mammogram, <laughs> even if uh, insurance doesn't pay for it. Yes because you could find something. So, you know, just a rant on my behalf of, you know, and then and then self-breast exams. I was always taught in school, teach your women to do self-breast mm -hmm. exams. The, all of these organizations say it's either optional or shouldn't, shouldn't be yeah, taught. Just, uh, you know, if I find something suspect, I, I probably want to check that out. As an aside, my wife is alive twice. Yes. From her self-examination. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. She found both the primary and the recurrence mm -hmm. on self-exam. Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, she's had it twice, survived. She's not 40. Right. And she had the most aggressive form. She'd be dead. Yeah, she would be dead. Mm -hmm. uh, somewhere between a year or two delay in her cancer, and she probably would already not be with us. Yeah. It's, it's staggering to me that on average, just continuing this rant on yeah. breast cancer because it hits home. Yeah. Um, there are so many women who are suffering from this. Mm -hmm. And yet, on average, the recommendation is don't do it under 40. Right. 
meanwhile, all around me, and I know this is anecdotal and my eyes are on it, so it's very, I'm biased towards seeing it, mm-hmm. but I'm seeing women in their mid-30s having horrible outcomes. Yeah. And families now that don't have a mom before mm-hmm. the age of 40. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we have got to look at this closer. Right. Um, yeah, for the sake of moving this conversation along and not just making this about breast cancer. But breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. Mm-hmm. This is a major, major deal. And when the most common cancer in 50% of the population, women, <laughs> the Has recommendations are this confusing. Conflicting. What in the world are we doing? Yeah. Um, anyhow, <clears throat> I, I think it's important to, you know, thank goodness we have mammograms. Thank goodness we have ultrasounds. Thank goodness we have pap smears and we have we have we have tools to capture early screening and early detection for some cancers but you and I were both stunned as we began to dig into this that 71 percent 71 seven out of 10 cancers do not have screening we don't have the capacity to screen for these cancers mm-hmm. um, from the CDC in 2020 we already talked about lung cancer being the most deadly cancer of all. 23% of all cancer deaths come from lung cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, some people can get a screening CAT scan, but very few people are utilizing it, and it certainly is not being mainstream pushed, encouraged. Um, listen, lung cancer has... So, so colon cancer is the number two cancer killer behind lung. Mm-hmm. There are two and a half times more deaths every year from lung cancer than there are colon cancer. And thank goodness we have colonoscopy. It does a great job. Recommendations now have moved it up to 45. I'm very proud of that process. Yeah. I always felt like 50 was a little late. Mm-hmm. Um, but two and a half times the number two killer is the number one killer where we don't have any regular standardized early screening, early mm-hmm. detection Lung cancer is a killer. And you're probably only going to grab that CAT scan on a former smoker. Heavy, heavy smoker. People die from lung cancer that do not smoke. Yes. Uh, Pancreatic cancer. 8% of all cancer cancer deaths are pancreatic cancer. Mm. Zero screening. Ovarian cancer. 5%. um, Sorry, not ovarian. uh, uh, Liver cancer. 5% Mm -hmm. of all cancer deaths are liver and biliary tract cancers. Zero screening. Ovarian, I'm not sure what the percentages are, but it's horribly mm-hmm. high mortality rates. The point is, is that seven out of 10 cancers that people die from, we don't have any screening tests. We are a reactionary system, a sick care system that only responds once someone has symptoms. Well, let me tell you, If you have symptoms as a consequence of a cancer, it's not going to be good. Yeah, it's it's already too late. It's likely too late, Mm -hmm. which is a sad tale, which is no wonder we're so terrified of this thing. Yeah. I I just went to the doctor last year. They said everything was fine. Six months later, they say I've got six months to live because there's cancer. That cancer didn't just show up. Mm -hmm. We have got to do better. Yeah. Jen, just as we wrap up this section, talk about the regular screenings that we do have in place, um, even if you wanted to spend a little more time on on breast, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of those things. Sure. Um, for women, uh, really important to get your mammograms. Again, the guidelines say start at age 40, um, but if you have a strong family history, 
I would definitely start that 10 years, 10 prior. years prior. Um, the earliest diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and even if insurance doesn't pay for it, strongly, pay strongly consider doing that. Yeah. Um, I've talked to many women that are terrified of mammograms. It's nothing to be terrified of. Um, and if you have a great technician, they'll walk you through mm-hmm. your very first one and you'll be smooth sailing after that. Um, they have great imaging technology now with 3D mammograms. That's the only one I get now, um, which can show much more detail of the breast That's tissue. Right. Um, so be asking for that. Um, cervical cancer, again, your your pap smear um, get that from your with reflex hpv mm-hmm. yep so talk your, to your OBGYN or your family doc whoever's doing these annual exams for you yep uh prostate cancer for men again you touched on it an annual um, um psa which is a blood test mm-hmm. um and then if if you know the level is above a four is that what we go by now yeah well according to population health <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can't be prostate cancer unless your psa is over four which is garbage, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, um, it's going to be hard to do anything beyond getting a PSA mm-hmm. unless it's over four. We have found dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of early prostate cancers we uh, well below a PSA of four. Mm-hmm. But that is the recommendation. But at minimum, guys over 50, absolutely. I, I would encourage anybody over 40. And same thing with breast. Mm-hmm. So prostate to men is like breast to women. I mean, it is the most common cancer in men. If you have a f- positive family history of prostate cancer, it tends to really run strong in families. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a, if there's a strong family history of guys in your family having prostate cancer, 10 years prior to the earliest guy you can find that got diagnosed. So if somebody got diagnosed at 46, at 36, you better be getting annual PSAs and watching that like a hawk mm-hmm. for any variation, the rate of rise. Yeah. Yeah. How quickly is it rising? Not necessarily how high is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and this isn't about prostate cancer, but that is a subtlety. Mm-hmm. But you, you're not going to see that data unless you're tracking it. Right. Um, and then colon, right? We've talked about colon. Colon Men and women. Mm-hmm. 45 now. Yeah, 45. Yep. I'm behind. Or <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> By two years. I know. Um, you know, it's it's hard to march out. Like yeah. this just changed a couple years mm-hmm. ago. It was 50 forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father had an upper GI cancer, mm. um, and it has been highly on my radar mm-hmm. to do before the recommendation. I thought I was doing really good because <laughs> I was going to do it by like 45, uh, and then the recommendation became 45, and then COVID happened, and yeah. we've kind of blinked, and two years have gone mm-hmm. by, and so whatever. Um, but, but yeah, you do bring up a good point about the pandemic. There's plenty of people yes. that have delayed yes. or, um, oh my gosh. you know, couldn't get in for their screening test. Make We're sure over you two years those. out now yeah. get, get of on the, the books. world changing and people keep waiting for it to go back yeah. to normal. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the new normal. Yeah. Like whatever has been put off, it's time to do it Yeah, um, because your future depends on it mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. So uh, just to recap this section. Uh, there's zero screening tests or surveillance protocols, no standard of care for massive killers like long pancreatic ovarian. Mm -hmm. We've got to do better. In this last section, we're going to talk about the new way to be thinking about um, cancer screening moving forward. And we've already talked about kind of the way we are now. and, And I think at a bare minimum, we need to do whatever the recommendations are, albeit they are vulnerable to miss people because they are based on population health, which we've talked about, there is a very exciting 
technology that has come online in the last maybe 18 months mm-hmm. that we want to present to the listener uh, so that you can think about this and potentially have conversations with your physician to see if this makes sense for you to overlay on top of the current population-based recommendations. Jen, tell us about the gallery test. So this is so exciting. You and I have both done it. Yes. (laughs) It is scary. I was, (laughs) during the waiting period, you're like, oh my goodness. But uh, anyway, so Grail is the company and they have this wonderful test called gallery. And it's it's a simple blood test. I've drawn it on several of our patients, our members, um, two vials of blood takes about five minutes you don't have to fast which is amazing but it tests for 50 plus different cancers which is amazing how's that possible well our our cells actually secrete dna into our bloodstream Mm. healthy cells as well as cancer cells so what this blood test is doing it's basically a, a biopsy of your blood if you will but it looks for abnormal DNA cells in your bloodstream, specifically cancer cells. Mm -hmm. And with a high level of accuracy, and it takes probably about 10 days for this whole test to come back, so there's a little bit of a waiting period, but with a high level of accuracy, it not only does it detect cancer cells in your blood, but it also points to what we call a signal of origin. Mm -hmm. So it can basically tell us if a positive test does come back, where is the cancer? So we're not spinning our wheels and, and wasting time doing some imaging tests that are fruitless because we're just kind of tracking, kind of chasing this cancer down. Mm. We can pinpoint exactly where it's coming from, which is super exciting. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that these cancer-based DNA mm-hmm. particles kick off a particular signal these algorithms that the that this company uses to identify these what they call cancer signals mm-hmm. which are particular dna sequencing because f- cancer all cancer looks all cancer behaves very similarly yeah and it's these signals these these patterns that the, the technology is picking up that normal non-cancerous cells don't behave this way so that would not be a signal and these cancer signals can then also give you a, a highly likely um, tissue of origin mm-hmm. uh, to give you some kind of marching orders of start here, like the red X, like mm-hmm. start here. Um, what are the benefits, Jen? Well, as we talk about in a lot of our podcasts, like why would we do that? Like we want to be on offense. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't want to be defensive when it comes to things that take people off the planet. So, if you listen to our heart disease podcast, it's one of my favorites that we just did. Um, it's really rooted in being offensive with everything related to heart disease, and it's no different with cancer. You know, you, you can't um, sleep on this, especially, especially if you have a family history. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, and if this is a new technology, you know, why wouldn't you want to um, put it in your arsenal, you know, at least, to, to give you peace of mind, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my mom had breast cancer. I'm not thrilled about the possibility of even remotely that happening to me. So um, to do the grail and, and get a clean blood test was very reassuring. So does insurance pay for it? How much does it cost? Like, what are the details? So, are? yeah, the, the cost for is, is around $1,000, probably varies depending on the provider. Insurance mm-hmm. doesn't cover it right now. Right. So this would be an out-of-pocket expense. But again, as we've talked about some of the other... It's a other, lot of data for $1,000. Yeah, yeah. Especially and, if you're the right risk profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and um, you know the other thing is is the accuracy of it. They've they've designed it to be what we call specific and, and sensitive mm-hmm. when we talk about a lot of these tests, whether it's a strep test here in the office or a grail gallery test. You want it to be as sensitive and specific as possible, and you can kind of talk about that as well. Um, but and it's simple. I mean, yeah. you you don't have to fast. You just I pop in for a most. blood test. We send it off to the lab. They analyze it, and you know. I was kind of expecting more of a, yay, you don't have cancer, but it just comes back and says, not detected. No. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fact, it kind of underwhelming. No, no cancer signal detected. <laughs> no cancer signal detected. So um, great. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think some of the, I mean, those are clearly the advantages. I, w- I want to talk a little bit about some of the limitations, yeah. potentially disadvantages, some things to consider, which is why it's not like everybody should run out and do this. Mm-hmm. Um Look, it's a test, and all tests have inherent imperfections, which is why it's very important to pursue tests that give the most upside with the least amount of downside. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, look, I mean, I I don't think $1,000 is is too much to gain this kind of information for anyone um, who has the right risk or concern, but $1,000 for some people might be cost prohibitive. So there is, I would say a limitation to this is there is an investment and there's no sign of insurance paying for this in the the near future. Um, You would hope that as this becomes more widely accepted, the data becomes even stronger and stronger um, and the market pressures are what they are, that insurance companies would begin to adopt this into their uh, preventative. Mm -hmm. You know, you and I don't deal in the world of insurance, which right. is such a blessing. Yeah. But like, you would hope that eventually that would happen. But right now, that is not the case. This is going to be an individual's investment. I think that's a limitation, something to consider. Yep. Um, I think really before doing this, the number one thing I f- feel and the one thing I really stress with all of my individual patients before we do this is there's a real downside And that is there is a one in 200 risk for a false positive. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means you take the test. It says you have a cancer signal, but you you don't have cancer. Well, that would be a stressful thing. (laughs) It would be. And i I, be honest. I I really push their their data team, their scientists Mm -hmm. to help me understand what a positive means and I spent a few weeks really thinking about this and ultimately I came down to, I don't love the fact that one in 200 people who get this test are going to get a positive and ultimately not have a cancer. And we're going to go through all of this, all of the pain and the suffering and the, and the stress and the fear, but nothing is going to come up on the other side out of those 200 people. There's 199 people who didn't know they had cancer, but now they do. Yeah. Which is a pretty compelling position. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that as long as you go into this knowing that there is a one in 200 chance that you might have a positive and we may not be able to find anything, it could mean one of three things or maybe more. I can only think of three. One is that it's just wrong. Yeah. Um, It's a limitation of the technology to not be perfect because perfection is an illusion anyway. (laughs) It could be that it's so friggin' accurate that it's finding it less than a millimeter or a millimeter and a half in size of a tumor where standard imaging, even MRI, because I think MRI can only get down to about one millimeter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be super duper early. Um, and 
What was the third? I've spaced on what the other third thing. Oh, the, the third might be to be determined, which I think Grail has done a great job and come in and I, p- help me if I'm misstating, but my, my understanding of their position on this currently as of summer of 22, that if you get a false positive, they will pay for subsequent repeat testing at no cost. That is correct. Which I thought was a very honorable thing to do mm-hmm. to stand by their technology. Yeah. So not only, I mean, they, they have a protocol that we can follow, you know. I think the last vulnerability that I can think of that's worth sharing is there is no recommendation currently on how often to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The answer is I have no idea. Yeah. Um, practically speaking, I'm marching this out one by one by one by one. Who is the person? Mm-hmm. What is the family history? What is the risk profile? What are, what are their behaviors? What are, how concerned are we? You know, if it's just a, we want to touch and see, maybe it's every three to five years. If it's somebody with a super strong family history, um, my wife, mm-hmm. we're going to do it annually yeah, until further notice. Yep. Along with other surveillance, we're doing ultrasounds, we're doing other things. Um, but, but I think how often you do it needs to be a discussion with your provider as yeah. well. Yeah. Not just should I do it. Right. Um, I think the bottom line is this, Jen, and I think we can wrap this up uh, and put a bow on this episode by just saying cancer is a massive deal Mm -hmm. and everyone knows it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad that we put a little bit of data and number around this to really anchor. This is a major thing. Number two killer of humans and seven out of 10 of this killer don't have screening tests. So you you must take an offensive You have to go on offense or you are playing with a statistical roulette yeah um that you will get it and you will catch it late and you will have a bad outcome Mm -hmm. if you go on defense here you're playing with when i catch it if i catch it it will be late yeah and i just i can't rest with that no as much as i don't ever want to find it yeah if i have to march through cancer personally or with my members, I want to do it early, 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 so we have time, because mm-hmm. speed is everything. Yeah. Um, so it's a big deal, number one. Number two, don't stop doing all of this. St- it's not that they're bad, it's just that they're incomplete. Yeah. Do all the standard recommended re- recommendations of screening, and if you have a unique story, if there's an element of your story that makes you want to do it early, try to build a case for that so that insurance can pay for it. If not, find a way to get that screening so that you feel comfortable that you're doing all that you can. Uh, and, and another plug for find your team. If, mm-hmm. if you feel like you don't have an environment where you can have these conversations, you have to find someone else. Yeah. Um, if you're shooed away and poo-pooed and, and silenced and there's no conversation and my way or the highway, that's likely not a great fit for you. Yeah. You need to find that person, whoever it is. Um, and then the last thing is this gallery blood biopsy cancer screening is on the market it is available it deserves some attention it deserves some conversation if the if someone listening to this is interested there are lots of benefits there are a handful of drawbacks that you need to get your head around before you embark on this journey um but i'm i'm really excited you know, I, it's early, yeah. right? I, it, it's super, super early in this technology, but it's very promising. Mm-hmm. You and I, thankfully, have not had to walk out a positive test yet. Right. 
It's all been puppy dogs and rainbows so far. But we will. But when you hunt, you find things. That's right. And so we'll probably create some content at some point in the future once we navigate some of the like, well, here's how it happens if you like, we don't have that yet. Yeah. Um, give us some of your final thoughts on this topic. Um, just whatever is, is, is on your mind right now. Um, yeah, I just, if I could leave you with anything, it's don't ignore symptoms. You know, if, if you don't, if something doesn't feel right, if you don't feel right, you know, talk to your healthcare provider about it. Um, be honest about your family history. Yes. Dig into that. Ask your parents, ask your grandparents if they're still alive. Know that, you know, um, I, I wish my grandparents were still alive to kind of dig into that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Hopefully your parents know about their family history, but it is important and it's important to share with your healthcare provider. And then if you are behind on your, on your screening tests or you're kind of wavering on getting them, talk to your healthcare provider about your fears and your apprehensions too, and, mm -hmm. and help have them help you walk through that. Um, but don't delay in getting it. Cause like we, we said at the beginning, we, you probably all know somebody that has, has had to walk through cancer and it's, it's just not, not great. So no, never. It's never great, but it's especially bad when it's late. Yes. Yeah. So I hope this uh, was interesting to you and uh, please share it with whoever you think might find it useful. Let us know what you think. And uh, until we see you next time, take care. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.